0: Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to this video. Thanks for tapping on it or whatever it is that brought you here today We're so glad that you're here. We're calling this 1189 because there's 1189 chapters of the Bible We're gonna look at two of them today. We're gonna look at Ezekiel chapter 2 and 3. My name is Landon Thank you guys for being here with us. Do you want to you want to say hi
1: say who you are? I'm Logan That's all I need to say (laughs) (laughs) That's enough My name is Amanda Gillery, and I am a worship leader
2: and my name's Nick and I'm just happy to be included. Yeah, just happy one, to be for here. once in my I'm happy
1: life. To be here too. We wanted a boomer on the show. Uh, th- there it is. Yeah. There I mean, it is.
2: We're off to a great start
0: This already. is a great start because yeah. we're like 1 minute into this and I feel oh. like at around minute 40 the tension's going to be too much. Yeah,
2: just 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 so I understand the rules of engagement, are you are you're, you're Gen Z, right? Yes. Okay. Locked and loaded. Let's go.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. He's Gen Z, which means he's totally comfortable making fun of you. But if you make fun of him, he's going to be really uncomfortable. Yeah. Hundred (laughs) percent.
2: I (laughs) hope therapy's part of your insurance plan, whatever that is.
0: You can see it in like what the comedians of those generations make fun of too. Like Boomer comedians were always like, "I hate my wife," you know. (laughs) And they were. That was the joke. And then Gen X comedians were like, "I hate authority." And then millennial comedians were like, I hate myself. (laughs) And then Gen Z comedians are like, I hate feeling uncomfortable for like a quarter of a second. (laughs) Like, let me put my digital pacifier back in my brain, which is my iPhone.
1: (laughs) Dang. That's so true. Any response? Hopefully at the end of this podcast we can begin to turn our iPhone screen time to Bible time and we can replace it fully. That's a
0: Jesus juke. That, yeah. sounds like a, that sounds like that sounds like the tagline for like a series at a kids' church that like none of the kids would get excited about. You know what I mean? <laughs> We're gonna turn screen time to Bible time, and they're like, "Do we Mount have to want. though?" <laughs> yeah. Like, what about not? rec time? Yeah. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, you're like the least Gen Z Gen Z person, anyway. All right, yeah. glad you guys are here. Um, why don't you guys go ahead and grab your Bible if you haven't already? We're gonna pick up where we left off yesterday in Ezekiel chapter two. Um, if you're out there and you're watching, um, uh, go ahead and grab your Bible, open it to Ezekiel chapter two. I am going to say all the Bible verses out loud, but I do think it is powerful for you to look at scripture yourself. I think it's important. And I think that having a a paper copy or a digital copy where you can keep notes and keep highlights is a great marker of your progress as a Christian. Um, the Bible is not the only part of being a Christian, but it certainly in many ways is the most significant part as it relates to our personal time. With God Alright we ready for this We ready people I'm ready
2: Let's do it Ezekiel 2 We feeling good Let's go Zeke We're gonna do two chapters Can we call him Zeke Or is that kind of irreverent Zeke
0: I like it Yeah
2: Zeke 2 Yeah
0: We're like Like Because the end Kind of sounds like Kyle
2: Yeah And Kyle's just Like a Gen Z Bro, he wouldn't bro, be a prophet. bro name, no. yeah. Nobody's <laughs>
0: listening to Kyle. Totally, God would be yeah. like speaking to Kyle, and yeah. he'd be like, "Wait one sec, God, I need to take a drink of this monster. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I gotta take a drink of this Celsius." Right? Yeah, yeah, totally.
0: God's like, I called Kyle, and then and then the next verse is like, "But God, God said, I should have known not to call a person named Kyle." <laughs> um, Sorry, all you Kyles out there.
1: <laughs> he was our number one sub. <laughs> <laughs>
0: totally. Can you imagine Kyle oh, just unfollowed? All right, so here's a quick overview of the book of Ezekiel. I did change a little bit of it from the first time. So you'll notice if you're watching, like, sometimes I edit things during it. And so I'm not saying, like, this is the greatest outline in the world. I'm saying, like, here's where I'm at and here's how I'm seeing it because I'm trying to teach it. And um, I I, I like the, the, the... I wanted to have put glory in the fir- in the, the, the title of the first three chapters because I do think that that is what it is about. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to that, the, the Judgment on the Nations section is so long and laborious and egregious and intense that I did feel like it needed its own segment. It didn't feel natural to include it in one of the other parts. And so there you go. All right, we're ready to go here. Ezekiel chapter two. Where do we leave off? Do you guys remember what was going on? Logan when we left off
1: falls face down and he hears the voice of, of one. That's Mm -hmm. the last sentence of one. When I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. So hopefully we get to hear what the one says. Exactly. But
2: he also, before that had got an incredibly insane vision. Mm -hmm. Insane. Like, yeah, exactly. Words he used to describe and it was, yeah, it was wild. And then that caused him to fall down rightfully. So don't, don't blame him one bit
0: so it says there in chapter 2 verse 1 and he said to me so the the literary style of this text uh says daniel block um is set by the phrase quote and he said to me which occurs 41 times um so, so we're looking at a lot of moments. There's only 48 chapters in the book. So we're looking at a lot of moments here where Ezekiel is saying, God said to me, which is the role of a prophet. A prophet hears from God and then without changing or editing it, says it to people. Hmm. Right. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, why doesn't God just say it to them directly? I have no idea. That's just the way that he chooses to do it and has chosen for a long time. And he said to me, son of man. Okay, here we got it. This is big. This is the first time this is used in the text. We talked about this a little bit last time. Mm -hmm. Son of man is used 93 times in this book and almost the exact same number of times. It's 90 times Jesus calls himself um, the son of man in the Gospels and in Acts. Um, John Calvin said, excuse me, since Ezekiel so often uses this form of speech, saying that he was called son of man, I do not doubt that God wished to prevent the people from despising him as one of the common herd. For he had been dragged into exile, not without ignominy. Since then, he differed from the generality in no outward appearance. His doctrine might be despised and rejected. God, therefore, takes him up by the way of concession and calls him son of man. So, on the other hand, he signifies that the teaching ought not to be estimated by outward appearance, but rather by his calling and that's obviously a biblical principle that he is applying here to this idea god says son of man verse one stand on your feet and i will speak with you so he falls down because he's terrified he's absolutely terrified of what he has seen Um, and as he spoke to me verse two the spirit entered Into me, the Pneuma, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God entered into me and set me on my feet. So it's intriguing that God offers the language of stand to your feet, then God sends His Spirit to just lift Him up to His feet. Mm -hmm. Perhaps. He was so burdened by what he had seen that he did not have the strength himself. And God was like, it's okay, I will help you um, stand. Um, John Calvin said specifically about that word spirit in verse 2. At the same time, the prophet teaches that nothing was accomplished by his voice until the spirit was added. So there is no prophecy from Ezekiel until he is indwelt by the spirit of God. And Mm -hmm. now all of these prophecies are coming in that context. Nothing in the Christian life works without the spirit of God. Nothing in our lives works without the spirit of God. We are, you know, those like, um, like just add water or like just add an egg, uh, food items, Mm -hmm. like, okay, everything you need except for this, that's us. We are just add water nothing about us works unless we have the Holy spirit. And that shows the futility of the world. And this is just what is happening all the time. It doesn't work without that And then we see a revelation connection here Which is revelation connection number two I'm not saying when I number these That there are only these I'm just saying this is how many we have chosen to focus on There's actually more than this But revelation connection number two In revelation 1.10 John introduces his commissioning Quote, I was in the spirit By using language similar to Ezekiel's 2.2.3.12 3.14 and 3.24 Thus placing him on a level With the Old Testament prophets and so this uh, brings out uh, a hermeneutic, which is just a Bible study method that I think is incredibly important. And the, the, the idea that I think is incredibly important is um, you can understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved without having ever read the Old Testament. Of course. The thief on the cross probably never read the Bible, right? But the fullness of the text involves understanding all of it. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you don't need to read the Bible. You don't need to read the Bible at all to be saved. You can hear the word from a preacher and stand up and be saved. But if you want to understand the, whole, the fullness of the whole Bible, you can't unless you understand the Old Testament. And so I think that that perhaps is something that's missing. Uh, back to the text. And I heard him speaking to me, verse 2. And he said to me, now who is the him? Could either be uh, the, the, the God on the throne or the spirit, depending on how you look back. It's not really that clear. And he said to me, now there is um, what is called a twofold commissioning formula. Um, so, um, how can I uh, explain this best? So, w- what's about to happen is he is about to be commissioned, so, like, sent. Uh, Like in Isaiah 6, you know, he's stunned and then he's seared and then he's sent, which is a a Louis Giglio sermon I heard on Isaiah 6. But here he's about to be uh, commissioned and uh, there is um, a a, a Hebrew use of duplication of the same word in order to form a point. You don't need to understand this to understand the text, but I do think it's really interesting. And I got this from from Daniel Block. Um, So if that's interesting to you at home or wherever you're watching from I hope that you can just grab that uh, content really quick son of man I send you to the people of Israel that's intriguing because he's in exile I send you to the people of Israel to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me nations is indicting there there was only ever supposed to be one nation they have two nations now it's a disaster it's an absolute disaster They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. He's like, I'm not talking about the past. Well, I am, but I'm talking about the past as it leads to now. He's like, this is happening today. This is a disaster. Gregory the Great said that the authority of preaching must not be offered to us who still lie in the confusion of infirmity. He is suggesting that the people of Israel are not capable of proclaiming the word of God because they are not living in a state of submission to God. Mm. Certainly, he's not commending perfection. No one's perfect. I'm Mm. not perfect. Not even close to it. But that being said, we live in a state of confession and repentance, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I've had to repent of some things this week. Do you know what I mean? Attitudes and thoughts and things like that. That's the idea there. Verse four, the descendants also are impudent (laughs) and stubborn. (laughs) It's just I laugh because it's so aggressive, like it's so mean. It is. That's what it is. He's trying to get his point across. The descendants are also impudent and stubborn. I send you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God This is the challenge of the prophet. The prophet has to say something that by its very nature, people will not believe. Mm -hmm. God is saying, introduce it in a way that most people will immediately disregard what you're saying. (laughs) He's giving him a very difficult job. And verse five, whether they hear or refuse to hear for they are a rebellious house. That echoes back to Deuteronomy 9, 7, which says, From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you've been rebellious against the Lord. They've been a rebellious house, it says in verse 5. They will know that a prophet has been among them. So this is intriguing because he's, he, he effectively, God effectively said to Jeremiah, it's not going to happen. They're not going to listen to you. God's not saying that to Ezekiel. He's saying, I'm not going to tell you if they're going to listen to you. Whether they listen to you or not, they will know that you are a prophet, which doesn't mean that they will know that you have that role or say that you have that role. If you're known as a prophet, that means you're known as a person that speaks on behalf of God. So when he says that, he's saying they will know that you are a person that was sent from God. Hmm. Also, Jesus said that the Jewish people killed all of the prophets. So I can imagine that he's kind of thinking, oh, wow, Couple prophets back there in Jerusalem. I was at their burial, so hopefully they won't know that I'm a prophet. Hasn't gone super well for them. Yep. Well, so it says in verse 4, the descendants also are imputed and stubborn. We talked about that. Um, uh, where do we leave off? We left off in verse 6. Sorry about that. And you, son of man, uh, be not afraid of them. Right? Why would you be afraid of them? Because they've killed all the other prophets. Nor be afraid of their words though thorns and briars are with you and you sit on scorpions now we understand
1: <laughs> yikes
0: what he's talking about here oh yeah because everywhere else they're like oh scorpions they're bad i'm like no no you have no idea it's like when people talk about cold here i'm like no i grew up in chicago you don't even know what cold is Right when people are like, "Oh, I understand scorpions," I'm like, "No, you don't. You don't live here, okay? Have you ever seen a black light on a scorpion? Because the moment you see that, you understand why Jesus described them as demons." Mm. Yes, absolutely. You guys got any good scorpion Baby.
1: stories? I am not allowed to tell. What do you mean you're not allowed to tell scorpion story? This nobody's
2: summer. nobody's watching.
1: My roommate, what, do you, what it, do you mean you're not allowed? Well, yeah. it's just the are your four parents. of us, bro. you're an adult. My roommate got <laughs> <The> scorpion <laughs> getting edited, oh, and um, my gosh. so when it says, iPhone, Well, you shouldn't I mean. have said you're not allowed, you should have <laughs> said, I just
2: shouldn't, or or just say, No, I don't have any scorpion <laughs> stories, <laughs> I have no scorpion stories,
0: or you hey, could just say he got stung in a very awkward area. Tell you
2: one thing. You are definitely not getting recruited by the CIA after this goes <laughs> <ghost> gets published.
1: <laughs> yep.
2: Oh, That's man. a good story. Talk about regret. Oh Just regretting gosh. asking a, like a softball question. I actually, when I was in high school, when we, we first moved here, mm-hmm. um, my parents bought a house that was right behind, like it, the house was built on a portion of a farmer's field mm-hmm. and the field was right behind our house. And so there were still scorpions that were not happy that their home got demolished. And yeah. my mom was laying in bed one night and a, and a scorpion fell out of the, she watched it fall out of the ceiling fan, land on her and like sting her up the legs and we had to take her to the ER and she was not well. Man, and that's, that's wild. That cemented in my mind a fear of scorpions to her. Like I won't b- buy a house unless they do a scorpion search and yeah, like everybody in my family, it's, it's like we have a, a, a very uh, unreasonable fear. Disdain for scorpions, so yeah. I don't know what nettles and briars are. Um,
0: just thorn, just
2: thorns. Thorn briar actually it. sounds kind of pleasant. It's like a briar patch. It's like kind of you know yeah, sounds nice.
0: No just briar, a, <laughs> <laughs> briar's ice cream is good. No, a briar and briars a thorn, a briar and a thorn is just like the type of pokey bush that would you wouldn't walk through it. Yeah, okay. So if it's there, it's guiding your path. That's you the idea. Those two
2: things are just like chilling. Like you can avoid those scorpions. Or like you said, they're demons and they're on the oh, yeah. offense at all times. I'm in terrified my mind. of those
1: things. Yeah, and it
0: shows why, like Jesus said, uh, scorpions are demons. He didn't say it like that. He said, you know, scorpions are representative of demons in Luke chapter 10, um, verse 19. Um, John Chrysostom, who was the bishop of Constantinople in the 400s, said of this verse... These thorns have the natural characteristics of sin, for where there are thorns, there you will find snakes, serpents, scorpions, and every power of the devil. And that is what he's talking about. He's talking about this idea that you are sitting on, you're just in a, you're just, it's a disaster, man. Like, it's not going to be
2: easy. That's the idea of what's being said to Ezekiel. Um, Which Which is a really hard sell. (laughs) Like the Lord first of all Puts on this you know Spectacle knocks him over Stands him up and goes Hey what I'm asking you to do Here's a 10 minutes on why It's a bad idea Totally It's so true Then goes but don't worry
0: it's the real it's the, and Go you know it. what it's the real way to recruit someone to an incredibly difficult job is to tell them how difficult it actually yeah, is exactly mm-hmm. when I used to recruit volunteers yeah. for youth ministry I would say this is probably the hardest ministry to serve in it's probably the ministry where you get thanked the least and it's probably the ministry where you, where you will feel frustrated the most but I believe it has the most impact of any of them mm-hmm. and I found that like mm-hmm. that type of pitch really helped people you know perhaps perhaps that was uh, something like what God was thinking here verse six be not afraid of their words nor be dismayed at their looks. For they're a rebellious house. He's like, they're going to be giving you the stink eye, Zeke. You're going, yeah. to, get, you're going to get the <laughs> Jewish stink eye from these people. They're not going to like you, Magai. Yeah. So don't think about what they're looking at you like. You shall speak my words to them. That's the role of a prophet. Whether they refuse to hear or whether they hear. For they are a rebellious house. So that's the third time he said that. But you son of man that's the second time there we're not going to count each time but we're just going to notice over time how often that um title is used hear what i say to you don't be rebellious like that rebellious house he's like he's he's separating you see how he's separating him from them he's like you're not like that you're not gonna be like that Um, open your mouth and eat what i give you and he's talking literally because when ezekiel looks up verse 9 a hand was stretched out to me and the scroll of a book was in it and he spread it out before me. He opens the scroll and it had writing on the front and the back that happens in revelation as well. And there was writing on it, words of lamentation and mourning and woe. Um, uh, it's, it's unique that a scroll would have writing on both sides because it's not like a book where books have words on both sides. This would have been very unique in a scroll. Um, Hippolytus said that the scroll symbolizes the prophets and the apostles. Um, I see it as a preparatory moment of the calling. And so this is the calling of Ezekiel. Here are some other um, times when prophets got called. Isaiah has a thing similar to this where uh, this... this, this, this this hot stone is held up to his mouth and sears his mouth. Um, And I I see it as a picture of what's happening because think about what God is saying to him before he shows the, 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 the scroll before he gives him the scroll. God is saying, you're going to say what I tell you to say, right? You're a prophet, right? So you're not an interpreter. You're not, uh, you're not doing soliloquies, Mm -hmm. right? You're not a writer, right you're just you're you're a delivery mechanism mm-hmm. right and so when he eats the scroll it's like it's like i'm gonna put the words in you and that's what you are going to say that's the idea and it's the same thing yeah. with Jer- with jeremiah and, and isaiah i see it as that and and amos which amos 7 is like one of my favorite passages in the bible that people don't know about that's the passage where the two prophets have a battle It's just like randomly in there yeah. it's amazing that's cool profit battle is incredible um okay so let's continue here um so that's it that's that's chapter two it's it's a lot shorter of a chapter um the chapters and verse divisions are not inspired in case anybody knows that it's just a a man-made way of assessing you know where we're at and stuff like that so they could have easily just continued on there Uh, chapter three and he said to me son of man eat whatever you find here eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. Eat this, p- eat this paper. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I gotta be
2: honest. That he was
1: illiterate. So. I got some questions.
0: Okay, yeah. <laughs> it is totally like that. I think you should leave me. Where he's like, I eat paper all the time. <laughs> you know, um, yes. it's it's so, so much. So I opened my mouth. Verse two, and he gave me the scroll to eat. Uh, John Calvin said. He adds that he opened his mouth for the sake of obedience, by which he signifies that he was not curious or dainty in seeking to taste it, but that he took what was divinely offered to him without the slightest hesitation. I do think that's like such a good insight into the text. He's like, do this weird thing, not weird like bad, just weird as in like unique. And he's like, okay, like I just, I love that. That That is the attitude of submission to God Mm -hmm. that uh, the individualism of America has robbed from us in our uh, discipleship to culture. Um, This idea of God says it, it's clear to me, I am going to do what he says is brilliant. And I just believe so much blessing flows from that type of obedience to God, albeit it also comes mingled with pain, like in the life of Christ, verse three. And he said to me, son of man, (laughs) feed your belly, (laughs) with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. It's just like the scroll that John ate in Revelation chapter 10. Gregory the Great said, What are the bowels of the belly, if not the interior of the mind, right intention, holy desire, and a, w- a will humble before God and conscientious to its neighbor? I'd like to stop here and talk about this this quote for just a second because I'd like to talk about this uh, idea, which is um, often in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, when it says the gut, they retranslated it into English as heart because people when they were translating the Bible did not believe that the gut was a place of thinking in the body, so they thought that it was wrong. And I find that so interesting because now science has revealed, You know, all the bacteria in your gut, all of the way that you think instinctually, literally in your gut. That's like a scientific thing. Mm -hmm. And I just love stuff like that. I love when the Bible supersedes kind of like temporal science and then science kind of back catches up to it. And I always find it interesting that they sometimes translate it at heart because that is wrong. And Gregory the Great is right. He is saying something that science has proven in the future, which is that the gut is a place of instinct in us. Like we you guys you you guys, knew that already, right? Mm-hmm. That like your heart and your brain, you have, you have different thoughts in those places, right? right. Okay, 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 cool. Mm-hmm. So um, eat the word of God, speak the word of God. That's the idea here. Verse four, and he said, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel. He's like, it's going to be hard, but not because they don't know what you're saying. Um. <laughs> because they're stubborn and disrespectful. That's exactly and right. And, and that's, that's where he comes the to worst. right here. That's exactly where he goes with it. You're right, Nick. Uh, not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you can't understand... Because surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. And that's exactly what happens in the book of Jonah. People hear the words of God. They respond to it, right? And now he's saying, I'm sending you to the group of people who I promised I would keep going with. And um, they're not going to listen to you. Verse 7. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you. For they're not willing to listen to me. (laughs) Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead. And a stubborn heart, which intriguing is showing the three places that we think. He's talking about the gut wow. where he ate. He's talking about the they, they're hard. They're not going to listen to you, right? Yeah. And he's talking about the hearts. So there's the three. This is an indicting comment. The people groups with the hard language would listen, but God's people with hard foreheads won't. You see that idea? Mm. The language seems harder, but they would actually listen. I'm sending you to a harder place. The language isn't going to be a problem, but the hard foreheads are going to be. The Hebrew word for hard in verse 7 is different than the word for hard in verse 5, so it is less of a play on words than it appears in English, Um, but he's being told that he's going to fail effectively before he goes. Now, I don't think this is a unilateral comment because he does say, I'm not going to tell you if they're going to listen to you or not before, so he's not saying, like, no one under any circumstances will listen to you. He's just saying right now, in general, it's not going to go well. Like mm-hmm. in general, they're not going to receive what you're saying, right? Um, they won't listen to you because they won't listen to me. Verse 8, Behold, I've made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. And this is the same word for hard in Hebrew as it is in verse 6 and 7. So it, it, this is the play on words um, here. Um, like Emery, harder than Flint, I have made your forehead... Fear them not, nor be dismayed at your looks. That's the second time he has said that because they are a rebellious house. Um, theologian Daniel Block points out that the superlative degree of hardening, Yahweh compares the metal of his forehead with emery, uh, the hardest substance known at that time. So it would be like us saying like steel, you know, right. us saying like this is it's not gonna get broken. This is the hardest possible mm-hmm. thing. And a hard forehead uh means um, um a hard forehead for Ezekiel means you're gonna be able to take this mm. you know b s without changing for Israel, it's negative because they need to change and mm. they're not going to be able to that's the idea it's juxtaposed next to itself uh, jerome uh, the church father said the lord said to the prophets that he has made their face a, a brazen city and a stone of adamant and an iron pillar so that they will not be afraid of the insults of the people but by their stern composure disarm the effrontery of those who sneer at them a finely strung mind is more readily overcome by insults than by terror um gregory the great said just as shame is laudable in a bad person it is reprehensible in a good person for a sinner to blush is a sign of wisdom but for a good person to blush is a sign of foolishness he's right there he's just so on it what is trying to be expressed here by god god is saying the fact that they won't listen is bad and the fact that you won't listen to them is a strength and is that not the yeah. challenge of being in ministry or or knowing when to let things into your mind and heart yeah. and knowing when to reject things is such a difficult thing? Yeah. And are not so many Christians justifiably criticized for having no nuance and never listening to anyone? And is that not so fair? And mm-hmm. is that not a weakness? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then are not pastors so weighed down by reading and rereading negative emails 200 times wherein they should have... Read once and then let it go, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that that is a pretty interesting idea there. Verse 10, he said to me, son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears. He's talking about understanding. So don't just hear. This is a biblical idea. It's a New Testament Jesus idea. Don't just hear. Hear believe we hear in with our ears we think with our minds we believe in our hearts he's saying let it into your heart and uh, go to the exiles to your people and speak to them and say thus says the lord god whether they hear or refuse to hear um that's the job of the prophet um this is this is what isaiah jeremiah ezekiel daniel hosea all these people had to do um um, then the spirit lifted me up verse 12 that's a uh, revelation connection number three John is uh, carried away in the spirit in revelation um, as was Ezekiel so what we see here is we see that connection uh, between those two things uh, they're using the same language on purpose because revelation is intentionally using the language of the prophets to prove a point and to make a point really clear Um he goes even farther GK Beale and David Campbell go even farther and they say where allusions to the Ezekiel commissions occur in the same manner it's significant that this verse combines Ezekiel 43 5 and Ezekiel 40 verse 2 Um, I could not agree more I do think that's in the minds of Jewish people when they're hearing this and it is obviously very important when we understand uh, what was going on in the minds and hearts of the original hearers right It's like basic basic hermeneutic right Mm -hmm. You can't understand what it means to you until you understand what it means to them, mm, right? right. Mm-hmm. Basic, basic hermeneutic, um, which like,
2: which is sort of interesting because the mirror of that is what strikes me about verse ten hmm. is you know you, you talk about the obedience piece of you know I just love how you know God said eat this and, he, and Ezekiel does, and yeah, of course. But I think if any of us had also just went through what he went through in chapter one. And then now all of a sudden he's cramming a scroll down our throat. Yes, I mean, now, what choice do I have? Like, <laughs> I'm doing. Totally. Yes, yes, I will eat whatever you tell me to eat. Totally. And then and so it kind of feels a little bit like. And then he you know goes on to say that here's here's all the reasons why this isn't going to work. And then finally comes the yeah. encouragement. Don't worry. I also made you just as stubborn as they are. So that's your secret power. But yeah. then for me the clincher is okay. in verse ten how he says, um, sort of like eat at your own restaurant like. I don't want you to just to just to just to be a vessel. I I actually want you to listen to this as well and receive it and believe it. Yeah. Because it's not gonna. I kind of think like there's an implied this also won't work unless you believe what it is. Right. You know, for yourself, what I'm saying. You know, like he's part of these people. He he himself is an exile. Yes. And so like that that part verses ten and eleven stand out to me for that reason because like so good that i'm is waiting like, okay. for the for the for the um for like the secret sauce the fuel that that is going to propel ezekiel into the middle of his people and it's like i'm not being forced to do this he's doing yeah. he's like i've i've listened to this i believe this i'm also being forced but <laughs> yeah i i believe this like hear the words of the lord which, I, which i'm sure is coming you're so right but um so it is that like you know that hermeneutic piece, you know, here we are thousands of years later reading this, trying to understand what it meant to them. God's asking yeah. Ezekiel, this has to mean something to you as well first mm-hmm. before you go. So, yeah that's, yeah, that's really good.
0: That is, that's a really great summary of, of, of what I see also um, in the text. Um, and the Spirit lifted me up, verse 12, and, and, and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place this is the the voice of something that sounds like an earthquake and words at the same time because that is what he's hearing when it sounds like an earthquake verse 13 it was the sound of the wings of the living creatures as they touched one another so the wings are 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 Uh, 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 not speaking, but they are creating sound that is creating content uh, for the ears of the prophet. And it was the sound of the wheels behind them and, and, and the sound of the great earthquake. They're back. Totally. They they never left. Um, But now he's kind of aware of it again. Um, The spirit lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness in the heart of my spirit. Why? Why? Because he's aware of what this means. Yeah. He grew up a priest. He knows the stories of the prophets. They don't have great lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't have great holidays. People don't like them. People murder them for saying what God wants said. And he is aware of this. Um, and so he's like, like I, it's just bitterness in his heart. Because he is coming to grips with what his lot in life is going to be. The hand of the Lord strong upon me. Um, I'm going to go through some of that uh, content in a minute. Um, and, And I came to the exiles at Tel Abib, who were at the dwelling by the Kibar Canal, and I sat where they were dwelling, and I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. So remember, this is the place where he started. He had a vision alone on this canal next to this river. And now, after this vision's over, he's like, Coming to grips with what this means and he is so overwhelmed with uh, intensity and and bitterness knowing what this is going to be and now he goes to where the other people are and he just sits there overwhelmed for a week. Um, (laughs) um, Relatable. uh, Yeah, I I, I think um, perhaps another translation of bitterness is great distress. Um, in Hebrew, I, I personally think that that's a bit better because I think that it's communicating being aggressively overwhelmed, not being aggressively upset. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I see it that way. Yeah. Um, the idea, uh, verse fourteen, is effectively that he is riding on the chariot. When it says the spirit of the Lord lifted me up and took me away, the idea is that he's like going with this like celestial host, kind of. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. this kind of crazy idea. Tel Aviv there means um, Hill of Ears. The location is um, unknown, but the name is preserved in its modern version, Tel Aviv, which is one of the principal cities of Israel. Hmm. So for some, somehow they effectively named Tel Aviv partially because of this or something. At least
2: that's what this theologian is saying. But it's not geographically the same. Location exactly. Because none- Tel Aviv on the like on the coast That's exactly Mediterranean, right. Mediterranean, and this is more like modern-day Iraq. That's
0: exactly right.
2: That's exactly right. So, um, um uh,
0: Daniel Block also said that a Babylonian administrator had p- probably assigned this region to the Jews in order to rebuild their local economy. So now is the time where we're going to be talking about what it was like in exile, what were the conditions like in exile, because this is the first moment where he's kind of like out of the vision and living life. And so this is hard for people to understand. Okay. So they got taken into exile, right? They're not prisoners, right? They have been removed from any ability to oppose the Babylonian empire as soldiers, but now they're just living there, right? It's not like, it's not like the uh, Israelites in Egypt. Mm -hmm. They are just living, they're just starting over, and Babylon is making sure they don't have any weapons, and you're not in your homeland. So they are, they are dominating, and they have control and power. Once they have control and power, they don't care what you do. It's a gigantic prison camp. Exactly. But they can leave. You can yeah. walk away. Right. It's not like they're stuck okay. in there. But they're where would you go? Right. <laughs> There's nowhere to go. See. There's nothing. To, you can't, you know. So um, uh, this exile lasted from 597 to 538 B.C., Um, it started because they stopped paying taxes to Babylon or Babylonia Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon came and put Jerusalem under siege they were under siege for two whole years Um, some of this stuff happened before some of this stuff happens after but this is just the general exile content Um, they ran out of food the walls were breached the king's family was killed they gouged out the king's eyes and brought him to Babylon now, you'll remember number five when later in Ezekiel, some guy like runs up to Ezekiel and was like the city fell. Right. That's when that happened. Okay. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. So now there's a few people in this exile community and there's more coming. But I'm just saying this is the way it was in general. And this is how it happened. But it happens right. over the course of the first 24 chapters. Well, and there's,
2: And there's like concentric levels to this, right? Like it's one thing to live free yeah it's one and and it's a worse thing to live to live in exile and it's even worse thing to live under siege like under siege is when all contact supplies everything from the outside world is cut off there's no trade there's no food coming in or out there's no water you're just you're just
0: and that's where it comes to this idea i don't know what he's talking about that's where it comes (laughs) to this idea when it says later in the text it says um this city is the cauldron and we are the meat. Mm. It's talking about siege in that time. Um, they lived effectively in a miniature society trying to follow their customs. So were they celebrating the feasts from Leviticus 23? I don't know, probably. They're probably trying to. You know, Were they sacrificing? Who knows? Did they build an altar? We don't know. But they were trying to follow their customs in general. They lived in both rural and urban environments. Um, and I got this content from where... Um, Lori Pierce In the Biblical Archaeological Review Is where I got some of this content um, They were effectively Forced refugees They still gave na- Jewish names To their sons and daughters Because there were these cuneiform tablets Found in 2015 With like the same types of names Which is really hmm. Really interesting And this is a long time you know, So this years. is multiple generations of people
1: but they maintain their Jewish tradition.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of beautiful. And they didn't um, exclusively... Like when they had kids, they're trying to like still be Jewish, you know, which is very beautiful. Uh, they were given a monthly ration of food and oil from the Babylonian government. And then you see this type of exile content throughout the Bible. Psalm 137 was written in exile by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat, sat and wept as we thought of Zion. They're like thinking of... Jerusalem where they can't get back to you know mm-hmm. um, many stayed and did not return to Israel in 539 this is a thing that I don't think a lot of people understand some people liked it and they never went back so when God yeah. ended the exile some people were just like "Eh, we're just gonna stay here which is wild right mm-hmm. and it shows how little value some of them had for their their heritage in their country yeah. um, and it was a punishment from God um, uh, another one I have here is there was a settlement that was called Judah Town, that was unknown until 1999 when they discovered a 498 BCE document that referenced Judah Town. They literally called it Judah
2: Town, or is that like a yeah, modernized like, word? No, it's Good
1: like day to be Judah.
0: That's <laughs> that's an English transliteration of what it was called in Hebrew. Interesting. So obviously they didn't call it Judah Town in English, but they. This, it's wild. It's like you know, right. if we got sent to Canada. You know, God forbid, and I call it I call it Diet America. Um, we got sent to that's where my family's from. We got sent to Canada, and we started a city called Phoenixville, America Town. Okay. you know what I mean. Yeah. It's or just like, like, like I or
2: you know, some cities have like um, um, you know Chinatown. Yeah, totally. You know, like the part fans. you know part of San Francisco or New York, you know, right. Chinatown. Totally.
1: The fans of this podcast are Landon Town. That's the fan
2: base. Landon Town. Just living in exile, listening to YouTube. (laughs) So another
0: interesting thing is that they discovered a town called Nar Kabara, which is from that word Kibar. So it's like, um, they, they think maybe that was the city that he's talking about right now because they discovered from that time period, a city on the actual shores of Kibar. It doesn't really have to be, but it's pretty interesting. Um, And the the exile was a punishment from God. It says in Deuteronomy 4, um, when you father children and uh, children's children have grown old in the land and you act corruptly, dot, 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 you will provoke the Lord to anger, dot, 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 I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. You will not live long in it, but you will be utterly destroyed, verse 27, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. So we don't always understand this. They had a national identity sense of if we don't do what God is asking us to do, we will not be in God's promised land. That was repeatedly said in the book of Deuteronomy. So we always think of the exiles like, oh, wow, that's crazy. That's not what they were thinking. Hmm. If they had any familiarity with the Bible, their Bible, which they would have, they would know this is the result of blank. It's like a dad who has very specific rules, you know, like, I love you, you can stay in this house for as long as you want, but if you use drugs in this house, you're not gonna live in this house anymore, right? It's exactly like that. Right. Everyone knows the rules, so if you are doing that, you know there is a chance that if I get caught, I'm gonna be blank, right? Really? And so this is the, the culmination of um, this. Verse 16, at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. So seven days of just sitting and thinking, and then comes the word. Leviticus 8 calls for seven days for the consecration of a priest. So you can see how that fits with that. And then here we have Ezekiel, the man. And these are all of the roles that God is going to call Ezekiel to. This is not my chart. I wish it was because I love this chart. But this is from uh, Daniel Block. These are all of the roles that Ezekiel is going to uh, have in this book. And I, I love I love how much it's different. Like the the vision language from chapter 1, it gets very different than that. And then it gets to like parable language like riddle language it gets to performance art language it gets to judgment language and then he's also like seeing the the vision of god like there's a lot of really cool different things um so he's like he's like it got his phases you know he's got his phases so like i see it like the the phases of like these are all the different bob dylan's <laughs> <That's> right <great. laughs> and um I like all of the Bob Dylans. Definitely, definitely the Blonde on Blonde 1966 Bob Dylan is pretty amazing. And the Christian Bob Dylan, you can see the cross on him right there, is oh, yeah. pretty amazing. Christian, Christian yeah. Bob. It, it's so dude, his Christian albums are amazing. And it's the best because Bob Dylan fans despise them, but they're actually like really good. Not just for Christian music. They're just like actually really good. Um, so, and then what else do I have here? I really got carried away with this. Here's all the, uh, the versions uh, of David Bowie. The David Bowie's oh, goodness. I'm not really sure why I included this. It's pretty unnecessary, but I see it as like the just this idea of the phases of Ezekiel and how many different roles he is playing. Very um, similar arc to Bob Dylan there. Yeah. Why did you unsubscribe from the Christian podcast? Pastor talked about David Bowie. <laughs>
1: yeah, he's back. <laughs> the Your essence, southern
0: accent's improving, guy. by the, the way. Pa- yeah. past, pastor recommended David Bowie. Is it Bowie or Bowie? <laughs> Pastor recommended his albums. He told all of us to put a lightning bolt on our face, just like David <laughs> Bowie.
2: You've got two dialects of of South, by the way. You have like the like the Piggly yeah. Wiggly dialect, and then you totally. have like the like the one you just did, which is like debutante nolans <laughs> Debutante. Yeah. like Boss Hog.
0: <laughs> totally, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't subscribe I'm to this fan. channel anymore. They just keep talking about Robert Yeah. <laughs> Um, (laughs) he's not a christian no more he can't listen to Um, verse 18 if i say to the wicked you shall surely die and you give him no warning nor speak to him so he's going to do some hypotheticals here i've got all of them kind of isolated here so here's the hypotheticals that god is giving this is a part of the calling so he's calling him he's called him he's shown himself to him and then now he is saying okay here's like the potential of the different ways this can go and I want you to understand the like full weight of what can happen here so I'll read it to you If you guys can look at this this is a summary of what he says if you if I say to the wicked you shall surely die and you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life that wicked person shall die for his iniquity but his blood I will require at your hand but if you warn the wicked, number two, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because you have not warned him. He shall die for his sin and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at his hand. That's number three. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning and you will have delivered your soul. So I think it's pretty obvious what he's saying and expressing here. Right. Um, that idea of a stumbling block in verse 20 is an idea all throughout the Old Testament. It's in Isaiah 8, Jeremiah 6, Psalm 119, 165, when it says, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. It's this idea of—it's uh, used 14 times in the Old Testament. Eight of the 14 times it's used here in Israel. It's also used in the New Testament when it says in 1 Corinthians one eighteen, For the word of uh, the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God— For we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. This idea of an idea that trips you up. It's an idea that you're expressing that does not help. Um, It exposes a problem um, in someone's thinking. That's the idea um, the prophet is not responsible for the response. He is only responsible for clearly communicating what God has to say. Note verse 18 again, to warn the wicked in, from his wicked way in order to save his life. This is the mercy of God. Uh, to warn someone of incredible sin that is leading them to death is um, not Uh, a sin it is a mercy and god is doing it here it's not a failure it's not inconsiderate it is a mercy of god um, because it is a mercy of god to allow people an additional opportunity to turn from their sin and to embrace him by faith and so everything is coming from here and here we here we have it here's an outline of um the book And then what we've done so far. So we have seen a vision of glory and then we have seen now the prophet commissioned. And now from here, we're gonna move into the performance. Most of the performance art and parables is in four through 24. And then the judgment on the nations is the most aggressive portion in 25 through 32. And then 33 through 39, it's like, okay, maybe this can turn around. And then 40 through 48 is one vision of this massive,
2: massive temple that is um, uh, prophetic. Can I just say I um, really appreciate what God does for him here with the hypotheticals. I yeah, find my, I find myself doing this all the time. Like when there's <laughs> decisions or things I'm communicating to you know to you know teammates or whatever, it's like yeah, this can go one of three ways, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> and that's basically yeah. what God does. Like, here's the thing: this go one of four ways. Two of them involve you living two of them involve you've died. So if you really kind of, you know, math, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, s- you know, simplify, there's, you have a 50, 50 shot of coming no, out sure. of this alive. Of and you of, say that to your team, like one of these things will end in death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You choose, yeah. Choose poorly on, you know, how we're going to do this thing here and you could die. Um, but it just, it just paints mm-hmm. such a clear picture for them, like of the options that involve you living. 100% of those involve you telling them what I'm telling you to tell them. So choose wisely. <laughs> and and then, you know, just sort of leaves it at that. If he needed, you know, after this whole whirlwind day of visions and falling on your face, getting picked up, falling on your face, getting picked up again, crazy stuff. God telling you this is why this whole situation that you're in sucks and it's not going to work. But let me just synthesize it all for you. Tell them. If you don't, you die. But But it's yeah. your choice ahead. like I like I just I just love that. Um, Which all I, falls
1: back into the obedience category that we talked about in the beginning. Yeah,
0: obedient. tell me more of like what you're thinking or how you see that.
1: Like God's giving you this, like you said, the different scenarios and how you put it in with like how you tell your team it's this way or whatever. You can be obedient and it's gonna go in your favor, mm-hmm. or you can be disobedient and it's not gonna go in your favor. Basically. Yeah. You know. And you're a mom, so you've given that. Oh, tons yeah. of times. Yeah.
0: <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. It's like the way I explain the Old Testament to people. I'm like, okay, I have these rules in my house about like, which doors you can and can't touch. They're ridiculous rules. I despise them. I despise these rules, but I have to have them because if I didn't, they would have, my kids would have destroyed my house by now. Right. Right. And so we're going to come to that because that's a passage that's coming later where it says your rules, quote, which were not good. It's one of the most difficult passages in the Old Testament. Um, I'm very excited about it. Who says that? Ezekiel uh, says that to God? uh, God says that to Ezekiel. okay. Uh, he says, quote, I gave them rules which were not good, end quote. And so that's kind of, like, really problematic for people. But I, I think it makes a lot of sense, yeah. especially in, in conjunction with the way Jesus talks about it. Does anybody else have any thoughts, ideas, questions, discussion
2: points, things? I just think, I mean, I'm you know, just reading about this. I'm exhausted. <laughs> for, like, I'm, I'm just tired for him, you know? I'm, <laughs> I'm like, dude, this has been... this has sucked like this day has not been good for you and i'm just reading about it um yeah, he's yeah. had his mind blown with stuff that doesn't make sense yeah. to the point where he's talking to god and then and then now he's being asked to not go to a foreign people like mm-hmm. that, i guess the thing that 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 i'm hung up about like these are his people mm. it, like he's not being called to go to a completely different group of people where it almost would make the ask easier I don't yeah. care. I, I can tell. So, hey, God says yeah. do this or you're going to go to hell um, and then leave. I don't know. If, like these are people he grew up with. He, he has a wife yeah. who's probably going to be impacted by this. Right. Um, right. You know, I don't know if he has kids or whatever, but it's just, it's a, it's a massive burden how much his life has been turned upside down. I just mm-hmm. yeah. generally feel like tired and like exhausted for him. First in exile. Now this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now, and like, I'm just reading about it in an air conditioned studio. Like, I can't imagine.
1: I just, (laughs) yeah. A lot of times it's easier to be a missionary in a remote village than your own home. Mm. Yeah, wow. Wow.
0: Yeah, and Nick is like, that sounds so difficult. And then he's like, hey, can you turn it down like a half a degree? It's so hot here, here, man. It's just, it's really difficult. It's
2: going to go one of two ways. You can turn the heat down. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Nick's like, I'm being persecuted. Please turn it down. (laughs) And someone's like, it's okay,
0: Nick. Philippians 4.13. You can do it. You can do
2: all things.
0: Yeah. Lunch is on its way. It must be so rough. (laughs) Well, thank you guys for being here uh, with me today. Thank you. And thank you guys for watching. Um, It would be great for the channel if you would um, like, thumbs up, comment, um, subscribe, or share, or all four. That would be fantastic. And if God brought someone to mind that you think would benefit from this content, I would encourage you to share it with them. Why not? And who knows what God is going to do? You know, the Bible says that the word of God never returns void. And this is an idea that I hold on to, which means that the, when the word of God is proclaimed, it never comes back empty. And so if God puts that on your heart, I would encourage you to do it or share uh, some of the content, just like literally yourself with someone. And um, we, will, we will see you guys here next time when the performance art starts. Yes.